I think that it's really important and really responsible for these men's clubs to make these commitments to help build up the women's clubs. Girls that have jobs are losing money. I'm a, I'm a United fan too, so. We won't, uh, we won't judge you for that. <laughs> everybody uh, welcome to football in the trenches uh, our third edition Hannah Terry uh, experienced traveled uh, player who's played in Europe who's played in the United States who's had some really interesting stories to share with us Hannah straight off the bat I'm going to tell you we are not going to ask you anything about your father's acting career we're going to leave that for the Google talents of our of our audience so that's off the record you know, uh, Google search and it's all, it's all done. So <laughs> it's, that's not what this podcast is about. We're focusing on <laughs> footy today on good old footy. Um, and uh, we really want to meet interesting personalities and hear their voice and hear their experience and hear about their career and their perspectives on some of the key issues uh, in the game. Um, just a quick note, this is sponsored by GameInsight.Sport, which is a new social media platform and career-building education platform for footballers, coaches, any sort of football staff. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks a lot for joining us today, Hanna. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So welcome to today's podcast, hosted by David, Tony, and myself, Jesse. Today we are here with a player born in the United States who has had and is having a professional career in all of the top divisions, including Sweden, Norway, and Denmark. She has also represent, represented Portland Thorns in the National Women's Soccer League. Above that, she also has international caps for Sweden under 23s with her mum from Sweden and her dad from the United States. Educated in the United States, she will today share with you a great knowledge about the soccer industry, both in Europe and the United States, as well as being a professional soccer player on the highest level. Welcome to the podcast today, Hannah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, I should get started, and it's just because it makes sort, sort things out. I used to be a club director when you played in LBO7, but you're no longer there, and I'm no longer in LBO7, so feel free to fire away at me and complain about everything I did or not did. Are not you did. Sure? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. Perhaps we just edit this afterwards, depending on your answers. But I think it's good for the subscribers and listeners to know that we have some kind of relationship in that sense. Yeah, I have nothing but great things to say about you, David. So no problem there. <laughs> wow. We'll see about that. <laughs> for now. For now. <laughs> But what we're going to do is we're going to start off with like a rapid fire question section. So this is short questions with short answers. Yeah. So the first question that we have is who was your favorite player growing up? Uh, Mia Hamm. Ooh, good choice. Good choice. USA legend there. The best manager you've played for? Uh, that would be my college coach, Tracy Leon. The best player you've played with? Uh, Veronica Buquete from Spain. The best player you've coached, if you've ever done some coaching before? I'm going to have to go with my girl, uh, Lauren DeGroote. I trained her, uh, I was her personal coach in Oregon, and then we actually did 
some Zoom sessions during the pandemic when I was living in Norway. So we had uh, training sessions in our respective uh, living rooms, which was fun. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> yeah. And we've dug up a little, a few clips of a few of your past highlights. And we have to say that we've seen some absolute bangers in there. But personally for yourself, what's the best goal you've scored? Yeah, I don't think it'll be a surprise that it was my uh, my first goal in Damalsvenskan uh, mm -hmm. when I was playing for Kiev and I uh, scored a, a dream goal against Jurgården. So that was definitely the best goal I've ever scored. Left foot as well, eh? <laughs> yeah. of, you know, I got a lot of slack for that because people were saying that I was trying to uh, cross it. And I was, was like... It's a very interesting cross, you know. <laughs> actually, anybody near it, but it was kind of one of those ones where you just pull the trigger and close your eyes and hope that it goes in. I was so tired, I couldn't like run anymore, so I was just like, I'm just gonna shoot it. <laughs> nice. And we're so glad you did. We're so glad you did. It's, it's Me nice. too. <laughs> your favorite meal? California burrito. Oh yeah, nice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> your favorite film it's oh man i would have to say harry potter prisoner of azkaban but also if there was a movie if this movie was on no matter what mood i'm in i would watch it it would be mean girls <laughs> <laughs> your favorite current international player Messi. Messi? Yeah. And if you could change your nationality in soccer, would you, first of all, and to which nationality would it be? I mean, so I'm a dual citizen in Sweden and the US. I don't think that it gets much better than those two. Uh, but if I had to change it and pl to play football, uh, I really love the style of football that the Japanese women play. And if you weren't playing football, uh, what what would be your second favorite sport that you would like to be involved in? Uh, skiing. Skiing? Yeah. I, I grew up in a ski town, so I'm going to have to say skiing. <laughs> like downhill skiing or cross-country? Cross-country skiing. Yeah. That is a part of the Norwegian culture that I will never participate in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then growing up as well, if you weren't involved in football, what do you think you would have ended up doing? I mean, I probably would have tried to become a professional skier. Uh, yeah, the the US ski team is based out of my hometown. So most of my, or not most of my friends growing up, but I have a very large number of friends um, from growing up that are professional skiers. So awesome. Awesome. Would have tried that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the end of the rapid fire section. Nice. So what we want to do is we want to take you back a little bit and talk a bit about the area that you grew up in and with which environment that was in, the area, family, uh, things like that. Do you want to take us back and share a few of your experiences growing up? Yeah, of course. I Anybody that knows me knows I love talking about my childhood and where I grew up. Um, I was really fortunate to grow up in Park City, Utah, um, which is... Yeah, it's a small ski community in Utah, and we have kind of a different uh, a different environment in that city than other cities that surround us. 
Um, it's very into athletics. It's very into the outdoors. It has a great school system, um, very international because we have, you know, like Sundance Film Festival there um, every year. And we had the Olympics there in 2002, the Winter Olympics. So it's kind of this mecca for outdoorsy people um, that are kind of coming from all over. Uh, my parents decided to not raise us in Los Angeles, which is where I was born. And um, I lived there until I was about two. And I'm really grateful for that. Because um, I don't know, of course, yeah, it's so easy to say that I wouldn't be the same person I, I am if I grew up in a different environment. But I think that growing up in Park City really shaped me to be who I am. Uh, I have, yeah, my parents, my, my mom is Swedish. My dad is from the South uh, in the United States. And uh, I have an older brother who is two years older than I am. Um, and I kind of grew up, he was really into sports growing up. So of course I was really into sports growing up. And, you know, my mom loves to talk about how I was like walking at eight months and riding a bike when I was three and just trying to do everything that my older brother was doing. So I think I always kind of had that really competitive gene in me. Um, and in my town, uh, for whatever reason, we're incredible in, in football and soccer. Mm -hmm. It's a tiny little mountain town. Um, and you know, we have, we've won state championships, national championships. Um, my club team, we had, uh, I think it was 11 players go to division one schools, um, wow. which is pretty rare to have happen. Um, and we were all playing together from when we were 10 to 18. So, uh, yeah. And I, I grew up uh, camping, uh, hunting with my dad, you know, river rafting, skiing, doing everything outdoorsy. Um, but soccer was a huge, huge part of my life. I used to, my parents used to take me um, to go have, you know, a, a private training with my coach at six o'clock in the morning before school started because I loved it so much. You know, God bless them. They're, they've always been the greatest support, um, but it was always just something that I really, really loved. So who was your first influence into football? Who introduced you to the sport? How did you get into it? What was your main attraction to it? I mean, neither of my parents are football players. Um, obviously, my mom is Swedish, and she's a diehard uh, Malmö FF fan, as is most of my family in Sweden. Uh, and my dad played a little bit in high school, but he wasn't really a, a football player. Um, I think it would probably just be my older brother was doing it. So I started playing when I was about four years old and almost every kid um, in my community grew up doing that. But my earliest, biggest influence was my, were my two club coaches, Richie Breeze and Will Cummins. And they, cause they started this, this club that I was a part of Black Diamond Soccer Club um, in, in Park City. And he, they were the ones who took us from when we were 11 years old all the way to 19 which is really rare because none mm. of us changed clubs. None of us did anything. It was this tiny little town that had this group of girls that, um, yeah, you know, we were in national championship games and all these things. So it was, it was a really cool environment to be in. Awesome. Awesome. That's, I have to say, I've been, I've been to your hometown and, and one, it's, it's one of these striking places with the mountains on one side and the, and the, and the, you know, the beginning of what is, what is the the Utah sprawling uh, flatlands on the other, and and then it's like uh, yeah, and it's it's a beautiful place. You have every type of environment, bar the ocean around, and and it's yeah. 
and I can really see it's it's really nice how much you've reflected on your past and how much you're able to present this to us today. Yeah, no, I've yeah, I I can't say enough positive things about Park City. It's uh, it was a pretty idyllic childhood, so I'm I'm really fortunate that I uh, that I grew up there and I have the family that I have. As a player, uh, you've been playing in both the U.S. and Europe. Um, how would you describe the differences and also the similarities? Uh, I mean, it's the same game, two completely different cultures of playing it, right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, everything from, from training to how the locker room is to how the teammates are. Uh, what are some differences and some striking similarities that you could describe? I mean, so the differences, I would say um, in the U.S., as far as the leagues go, I consider the U.S. to be the most competitive league. Um, I know that other people might uh, disagree with me, um, but I think that from in a league that top to bottom, the teams are the most competitive and uh, yeah, I think it's the best league in the world. Um, but I think that in the US, uh, it's a lot more focus on maybe like athleticism um, and speed. And then uh, in, in Europe, it's more of a tactical and there's more of a team culture, I feel like, um, because in the US, these players are coming from all over the place, all over the US. So, you know, it's, it's a much bigger country. So these players, it's rare to have two girls from the same town on this team. So it's kind of more of like a blending, um, which is great. But also what I love about the teams that I've played on in Europe is there is that that kind of core group of girls who do know each other, whether it's from growing up together or playing on uh, youth national teams together, whatever it is, there's just that kind of sense of club and familiarity, um, which some people might think, okay, well then it might be harder to come into a team. But that's one similarity that, I, that I've had is any team, any place that I've gone, whether it was in Cyprus or England or the US or Sweden, Norway, Denmark. Um, it's so easy to move to a new place and to step into a team as long as you're open because if you have an open, it sounds so cheesy, an open heart, then like the other, the other girls can see that, you know? And so I think that's one similarity is that any team I've been on, it's been so easy to come into the group because um, it's just that, that sense of kind of family and uh, and pride in uh, who you're playing for. That's uh, that's very similar. But as far as playing styles, I would say, yeah, it's maybe just a little bit more tactical um, in Europe. And then in, in the US, it's quite a bit faster and uh, more athletic based. I don't, it's funny that when you mentioned open heart, I don't think it's cheesy at all. The first player, <laughs> the first player I thought of, it was in a different sport, was Michael Jordan. You know, he, he played with an open heart throughout his career. I mean, that's why the fans loved him. That's why his teammates rallied behind him, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it, absolutely. He was never, he never left the playground <laughs> in a way. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and another thing you mentioned, I mean, uh, for me, like watching, watching women's competitions, I really see a clear, uh, like, playing culture that the men's football has also gotten blurred a little bit. Uh, that is really enjoyable to see, like, this you know, like, like you mentioned the Japanese team, for instance, they really have a signature way of being and playing. And that's, it makes it really, really interesting. W would you recommend to, to young uh, US viewers, would you recommend uh, that they should uh, experience traveling in the game? 
I, I've always said that traveling is uh, probably the best thing that football has given me besides a healthy life and friends. Um, I've, I've, I decided pretty early on in my career that I wanted to use football to kind of see the world. And, you know, if we're talking about football and diversity, football is the world sport. So it's kind of this universal love language. So anywhere you go, it's, it doesn't really matter where you're coming from, where you're going. It's something that binds people together. And I think that it's a really, really cool way to experience the world because I, I have friends of mine who don't play football that do not understand how I can move so often, you know? Mm. I mean, I think I've lived in like six different cities in three different countries in the last five years or something like that, you know? So, but every time you go somewhere, it's 20 immediate friends, yeah. you know? And you spend this chunk of day with them and then you spend your free time with them and all these things. So it's a great way to go and see the world while still having that kind of blanket of security I guess you know yeah and then what it brings you you know in terms of experience and and learning is second to none as well through my own career I've also traveled a lot so I can really back that up and you know I know you're yeah. very intelligent in a schooling kind of manner as well but you know in terms of traveling and being able to experience different cultures languages people like the the life lessons that you learn is is second to none yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, like now when I'm, I'm starting to apply for jobs and stuff and I'm looking at my CV and I'm like, okay, not that much job experience. Thing <laughs> <laughs> that I'll find an employer who's like, life experience is what matters the most because for me, it absolutely does matter the most, but um, I, I wouldn't trade traveling and what I've done for, for any job, you know? Yeah. Um. Well, you spoke a little bit lately here about your looking into new jobs, perhaps after your after career, we should get into that perhaps later, but also you're very well educated. And in 2019, you wrote a master thesis from Malmö University. This team's wins, everyone wins, a critical analysis of femortizing techniques and mediated discourses in Nike advertisements featuring the US women's national soccer team during World Cup year 2019. One of the longest titles I, I, <laughs> I ever read, but really interesting uh, topic, Instagram thesis. And with that in mind, and with the research you've done, how do you see the future development of women's soccer across the world? Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty loaded question. And uh, I have to say, when I started, when I started my research, um, it was a little disheartening because I kind of uh, looking at the mediated discourses surrounding uh, sports and, and women. Um, sports in general is very gendered. Um, if you just look at it, because when you think of sport, um, some of the qualities like speed, agility, strength, these types of things are masculine qualities. Um, so that was really interesting because I hadn't really thought about that before, because like I said, I grew up in a very privileged environment where just as many girls and boys were doing sports growing up, my parents never, I never even had a thought that I couldn't do something because I was a female. So I grew up in a really privileged, um, a pr really privileged experience, I guess you could say. But um, yeah, it's, 
when I, when I, so it's easy to become a little negative when you think about it because we're kind of at this disadvantage and all these things like that. But when I look at the development um, in recent years, and it was really cool to look at um, the last World Cup and see what these teams were doing. Um, and I decided to focus on the US Women's National Team because of the political discourses that were surrounding the team, um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but I think that it's really cool. If you look specifically, one example, like I said, sorry, this is a really roundabout answer, but it's such a loaded question. But one, one aspect of uh, women's development that I think is really cool is, um, the emerging partnerships between uh, the big men's clubs and the women's clubs um, that we're seeing in, you know, England's had it for a while, but uh, Spain, Italy, um, my club here in Denmark, um, this is their first year of having this women's team that's a part of the men's team. Um, the men's clubs have these phenomenal resources and this infrastructure that the women's sides just don't have, you know, and it's from years and years of kind of being at a little bit of a disadvantage, you can say. Um, so I think that it's really important and really responsible uh, monetarily and socially for these men's clubs to make these commitments to help build up the women's clubs. Because I think that that's a really great platform for the women's game, uh, games to flourish. So I think that's probably like the most exciting thing for me and one specific thing that I can point to as far as development goes. Right, yeah, I totally agree. And as, as you know, when you were in LBO7, we tried to make that merge with Malmö FF, yep. uh, which they turned down. But now, since we're not part of that club, I can tell you more about it. And that was that was the case. Uh, we, we couldn't afford like to to give you the the amount of resources you were you needed. Yep. And from their perspective, there was no money at all. No money at all for, for Malmö FF. But for us, it was a huge amount of money, which put, put our club in jeopardy. So that was, um, I totally get it. And that was, the, so I think it's really great that they're doing it right now in AGF and, and also a lot of other clubs. Yeah. But, but, but as you turn out when you, with your thesis, that tells you a little about how different they're built up. And another perspective I want to put in and see if, if what you say about it is, I sometimes feel when I have this discussion with the Swedish associations, they said, but the men's teams are doing this. That's why you should do it. But we try to tell them, yeah, but we can't afford it. Uh, so you get like forced on to do something that works in one environment, but not specific to this environment. Um, yeah, I, I completely, yeah, I completely agree. And I think one thing that became really apparent with the Malmö FF situation was it was, you know, the, the senior level of Malmö FF was on board or at least publicly they were on board with this, but it was actually the members, um, like the membership of the club that voted it down. Yep. So it's the mostly men, uh, sorry, <laughs> mostly, you know, middle-aged men who are voting down um, because, and if you just, you know, I try not to look at it, but if you just went through like the Instagram comments of, you know, when this was announced and it was we don't care about women's football, you know, this is a disgrace. I'm going to stop following Malmö FF if they have these women's teams join and all this stuff. And it was hard to, it was hard to hear because it's like, how can you think that this would destroy a club's image? And that's why I think it's really important for these bigger clubs all around the world to make these commitments because it's kind of leading by example. 
So hopefully then like there could be more grassroots movements and it can be kind of from the, even though it's from the top down, it can be more from the bottom up even mm -hmm. more. But um, yeah, that was a really interesting, uh, interesting dynamic there in, in Malmö for sure. But we also, all the players knew that, um, you know, our, our club had some of the uh, not worst finances, but we had some of the least amount of monetary resources in the, in the club. So it was more the individuals in the club were trying to make our experiences as pleasant as and professional as possible. And that was a lot of individual effort that extended beyond what their job might have been, you know, if it was preparing food for us, if it was organizing events, these types of things that was more, instead of they did, they didn't have so much money to spend, it was more effort and kind of uh, giving us that professional experience. But then another thing I have to say is um, in Norway and in Denmark, what I've experienced, I don't know, I haven't played in Sweden for a few years, but they're starting to do a lot more professional days uh, where players are urged to, well, we have to come in um, around maybe eight o'clock in the morning and have a first training, have video, have lunch, um, a second training. So you're there from maybe eight in the morning until two or three in the afternoon, which is more of what a, a men's, a male day would look like. Um, but what they're not doing is they're not compensating for that time. So it's really easy to say, okay, well, we're going to become more professional because we're going to have professional days where all you have to do is think about football. We'll, we'll get you food. We'll do all this stuff. But what they don't, I mean, they must realize it, but I think that it's the wrong way to go about it um, because girls that have jobs are losing money and they're not being compensated for it. Girls that are looking for jobs can't take jobs because two days out two days out of the week, they can't work. So of course it's kind of this, okay, yeah, you're trying to make it more professional, but then you actually have to help make it more professional in other areas, like with salary, like with things that are really hard for these clubs to provide. So it's kind of a, it's a weird dynamic for sure, but I've, I've seen it a lot more the last couple of years and it's a, it's a hard thing to think about, you know, the way they should do it. It's a little tricky. Uh, it's, it's really it just gave me a really new perspective because I mean it, it's um, I didn't think about the impact of the professional days but I've definitely I've worked in leagues where players have 11 12 training sessions a week and I know what that does and I know I know that it it has a it has a first negative impact but I know what it brings at the end the the, the resilience the professionalism that it does bring uh, so so that's uh, that's and that would be something interesting and, and probably something that you could build systems around and try to bring it more into women's football. So that's a really yeah. really good idea. And I, and I think you know I don't know I don't know if I know one player that would not like to be fully professional. You mm. know these girls we want to be we want to be fully professional of course that's what we're trying mm. to do but we have to go to school we have to work because our salaries are not enough to live off of. So mm. it's like of course we would love to be fully professional, but that can't be an argument. Well, we're gonna make professional days. It's no, mm. there's so many other things around it that has to happen before this can be a viable option. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm gonna be really controversial right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very upset about the, the Super League announcement and I'm gonna be open about that uh, last night. And, and I think a lot of top men's teams shot themselves in the foot like permanently last night. 
uh, with their fan base, with, with uh, at least it'll take a while to heal whatever they've done. But one of the things they did is they did an announce that they're also going to go into Women's Super League, which that might be, be the exact opposite because, uh, because that could be a real positive in terms of uh, TV rights, media attention, you know, if those businessmen go at it, then, you know, you know, they'll make money on it and, you know, there'll be something out of it. Right. So, so uh, my question to you is, I mean, women's, uh, women's football, can it outpace the stagnant hierarchical conservative? Let's, 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 let's be, let's be good with our adjectives and say misogynistic (laughs) uh, environment of men's football. And, and if so, how, what are, what are the important steps? Yeah. I mean, that, that is a, thing um with this super league that was a really it was a really interesting I stayed up a little too late last night reading uh all the club's announcements and some of the comments and stuff it was uh pretty eye-opening but I think like when I was playing in the United States we craved that international competition um because unless you're playing at the uh at the senior level of national teams or i guess at the youth levels too you're never getting that international experience um of course there's the champions league which i have played for in europe um but as far as you know some of the some of the greatest football is played in north america south america asia um so i think that bringing the the world together in that way is as well as being very financially uh, prosperable, I guess it, it, uh, I think it would be great for, uh, for the football. But um, I think that two ways, two specific ways that uh, women's football is a little different than men's and what that can be actually used for, um, for the greater good. Um, one is if you look at the fan base of, of football, of men's football and women's football, of course, there's in men's football, there's so many little boys and girls who look up to these athletes and want to be like them and follow them because they want to be, you know, that football player and have that lifestyle and all these things. But I think that, and this, this is an overgeneralization, I understand that, but uh, I feel that women's football players um, are more than football players. Um, as far as being uh, idols to these to younger kids, because I think that they are always women's football players are always going to be football players, but they're always going to also be women, you know. And so I think that it's um, you know players like Megan Rapino. Um, I think she's such a yeah. fantastic example of um, being a role model for her football, but also for her activism yeah. and for um, the way she presents herself and what she does for um, different communities, you know? Um, and I don't think that there would be that many, <laughs> it would be a strange thing to say, oh, I, you know, I want to be like Ronaldo for everything that he does for men's equality, <laughs> yeah. you know? Because yeah. that's not really something that, uh, yeah. that's not part of the discussion. But if you say, I want to be like Megan Rapino because everything that she does for women's empowerment, you know, and this, so it's a, a little different kind of a role model. So I think that using um, that, it's kind of a more, the, the fan base, it can really kind of start growing. That's why you see the, 
the popularity of, of football growing in the world, it's because of the, of the population that's coming up, you know, and the populations that are used to women playing sports and women being uh, sports idols and things like that. Um, and then another thing is also, um, I think social media is a really, really important, um, important aspect for women's athletes in general, um, because traditional media, you know, they, they're kind of seen as like the gatekeepers. They decide who gets published, who gets this airtime, who gets this and that, but social media, um, it's, has very little monetary, um, yeah, I don't even know what the word would be, but you don't have to pay to, and you don't, it, it doesn't concern itself so much with money. Um, who gets to post what, when, where, how. And these athletes, these female athletes you see are um, really active on social media because they get to present themselves in the way that they want to. You know, and this is kind of a, also like a third wave feminism where the women are deciding how they want to represent themselves, how they want to be seen. Um, and they don't have these gatekeepers, um, the traditional media saying, well, you know what, since not as many people are interested in women's football as in men's football, we're just not going to run this advertisement. We're not going to run this news segment. These women can use this social media um, to kind of create their own narrative. So I think that's really interesting. I like that you're comparing Rapino on, on an even playing field uh, with this. And I would give Marcus Rashford the Rapino prize because yeah. of what, how he took on Parliament last year. I mean, that's one example. There's not as many examples, but that's one example of a political activist in the men's game that, that, that would deserve men mention alongside her. So definitely. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm, of course, I'm, I know Ronaldo is doing a lot too with uh, his charity work and stuff like that. But it's more of a, if we're talking about gendered, uh, gendered subjects, I would say that it's a little bit different. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a United fan too, so. Oh, you're on the we won't uh, we won't judge you for that. <laughs> so we wanted to bring it a little bit back to yourself and your professional career. At the age of 27, you almost missed two years due to an injury. First, you had a knee injury, and when you're almost fit to play for the first team. In 2019, again, you hurt your shoulder and your lung in a reserve team game. How did you manage to cope with those setbacks uh, mentally, physically? How were you able to deal with that and come out the other side? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'm going to be honest, looking back, I don't know how I did it. Uh, but I think, yeah, so pretty much I had a pretty traumatic knee injury. Um, and I was misdiagnosed, which actually ended up kind of being uh, the nail in the coffin for me because uh, I should have had a surgery to repair it. Instead, I tried to rehab, but I was doing the wrong rehab. So after I think it was maybe 17 months or so, I played in my first reserve game and I just had a really unlucky tackle with a keeper and broke five ribs, separated my shoulder, punctured my lung. It was uh, not the comeback I was hoping for, well, uh, but that was actually like a pretty easy recovery because all I had to do was just like lay there and, you know, breathe into an inhaler type of thing to get my lungs back. And after a couple months, I was, I was good to go. But um, I think 
mentally, the best thing to do is to just show up for yourself. Uh, I, I was I never lost my focus. Um, I never lost my desire to play. If anything, it made me want to play more. Um, and I actually think that it added a few years onto my career, even though it took some away. I think that it's kind of given me this hunger for the game um, that maybe some players start to lose when they, you know, get around their uh, 30s or something like that. Um, but I think that I showed up every day and I, uh, I, I set plans for myself. I tried to set goals, even though it was really hard because I had this knee injury that I, I wasn't getting better for about a year, which was really crazy to me. Um, I wasn't seeing any improvement. Um, even though I was training every day, I couldn't jog, I couldn't do anything. Um, and then another thing that I did was I decided to go back to school and get my master's. Um, as a footballer, you have a lot of downtime um, because it's not like a job where, especially for women, that we can, uh, that we can spend eight hours a day doing. Um, so I had this time, you know, I was doing some substitute teaching um, and I was playing, but I went back and got my master's um, because I wanted to take my mind off of it a little bit and, and fulfill my life in other areas too. Because if you put everything into one basket in any part of your life and that kind of falls, falls apart, it's really hard to, uh, to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I just, I, I decided that school was, uh, getting back into school was the best thing for me. And I'm so happy I did it, but I would say I just did the work, you know, and I just hung, spent as much time as I could with my friends and family really leaned on them. And yeah, I, uh, I'm pretty proud of myself for that one. <laughs> but did you have as well, like anyone, that really helped you through that process? Because obviously that must have been mentally unbelievably tough more than I think most of us could imagine uh, through two years of not playing. Did, uh, who was your support through that and, and how did that look like? Yeah, I mean, I would say specifically my physios. Um, I had two physios that were my kind of full-time physios through that, um, that whole thing. Uh, Ivana and Alex um, at Kulang Hydro uh, Center that was in partnership with Elbi. And uh, they, you know, I, I was with them about three days a week and um, they saw me at my worst times where I couldn't, I couldn't jog, I couldn't do a squat, I couldn't do a leg extension. And then they saw me, you know, improve to the point, you know, they were at my, my first games back on the field. Uh, yeah. So I think that having someone, um, having kind of a constant presence in your life as far as these two um of course they were there making me better physically but they were also my mental coaches so I owe a lot to them I really uh, I really appreciate them <laughs> yeah it, it, it's one thing about it's one thing like going going and doing some tutorials and learning something and, and using your time another thing is actually managing to get a, a proper degree and putting the time that it needed there so that that is you know I've 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 been a, a counselor or support to a lot of players and they're, you know, I, I've always tried to tell them, invest as much time as possible into, into your after game. Think about what you want to do. Explore different things while you play. It, it's also going to enrich your on-the-field performance if you diversify what you're doing and not just 
go from go from playing a PlayStation football to on the pitch football back to the PlayStation back to yeah. I think yeah uh, but um, but anyways you're still very active in in the game so let's let's ask you about that last season you played in 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 Eroa in Norway and now you signed with AGF in Denmark and launching their 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 new team and and um, and t- tell us about last season and tell us about your goals with AGF and and both from a, a personal and a club perspective, where, where are you at? And, and, and what's, what are AGF's ambitions? Absolutely. Yeah. So last year, um, last year was kind of interesting because I kind of had these three teams in three countries that I was, I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know what I was going to do. It was a really stressful uh, holiday break in December. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it was seriously such a last minute decision. I was, um, I was with Rua up in the north of Norway in Nordvik for a seven versus seven tournament. Um, to, they just kind of wanted to see me play. And then I was supposed to go back home to Sweden for a day and get on a flight to Germany and then to Italy to see to visit these two other teams. And when I was in Norway, I just fell in love with the girls. I fell in love with Norway and I canceled my other trips. <laughs> and I just signed, I think I signed on a Monday and I and I went home on Sunday, you know, it was, uh, it was one of those things where I just, I felt like it was right. Um, unfortunately our season didn't go so well last year and a lot of it has to do with, uh, Corona. It was really hard for us. We were, we were doing really well. We were winning all of our preseason games. We were doing very well. And then Corona came and we had a lot of overuse injuries. We had this, we had some players that left the club, so it kind of uh, sent us into a little bit of a, a tailspin and we never quite recovered, unfortunately. Um, and personally, I mean, it wasn't exactly the comeback season that I would have hoped for. Um, I did, I think any player that's had a long-term energy or injury can uh, attest to this, that your body never really works the same. And so it's just more about uh adjusting everything to to kind of make up for it and I pulled my hamstring in like September and ended up missing the second half of the season Um, and that was my left hamstring and my left knee so it's you know going hand in hand but I think that uh, when I when I signed here for AGF I also have to say that uh, I was with a team in in Norway and I was planning on staying there but I hadn't signed anything yet and then um, my agent uh, came, came to me with this, uh, with this offer. And he was like, you know, this is a really interesting opportunity. Um, they, how the, the league works here in Denmark is they have their first, they play each team twice. Um, and then the top six, it's eight teams in the league. The top six play each other in the championship round. And then the bottom two play the top four from the division ones underneath. And, and then the top two teams stay up. So this team had a pretty rough start to the season. Um, and so they, they, were, they ended up in, in uh, seventh place. So we're playing the teams that are technically in division one. Um, but really the goal for this club is to, first of all, it's the first year they just started, they just started this club uh, this spring. So it's to stay in the top division. That's the main goal. Um, and they have this amazing support from OGF, the men's side, which I think is really, really cool and interesting. Um, so 
the goals, the goals for this year are um, to stay up and then to just build up from there because it's as any team that's just starting out can attest to it's uh, the most important thing is to just lay the lay the foundation and the best way to do that is to stay in the top league. And then for me, um, I'm back to playing center midfield, which I haven't played for a while. I've been playing uh, left mid and now I get to play my favorite position. Um, and it's giving me a lot of confidence and I'm having fun playing again, which I, uh, I was kind of missing a little bit last year. Um, and so for me, it's, yeah, just that joy of the game and kind of getting back to, uh, where I was mentally before my injury and stuff like that. Um, we've, we've played a couple, a couple games and I've had, uh, I've scored my first goal on Saturday for the team and I had an assist and everything's going really well. So, uh, yeah, I, I really like it, but. I think it's really cool that the the men's team has started this women's side here yeah yeah very 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 cool um uh just going on a different you you mentioned you touched on some of this before but this is more of a philosophical question and a, and a personal question also you know you, you, having had um you know a decades career at least or or more uh what failure or apparent failure um set you up for later success uh, do you have a favorite failure of yours? I have a few failures. Everybody does. It's about being able to, <laughs> to describe them, right? <laughs> Again, uh, no, uh, I would say I didn't get drafted um, out of college. And it's not that I expected to get drafted um, because I came from a relatively small school um and a small program but uh i think that even though it was a little knocked the old confidence it gave me the opportunity to kind of choose what team i wanted to play for because then i went on trial for portland thorns and for boston breakers and i ended up being offered to like join those two teams or you know start with preseason with them and um, I think that going to Portland was the best thing, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Um, the team there was so insanely good and I, I barely played, but I was on a team with 14 international players with, uh, you know, from six or seven different countries, World Cup champions, Olympic champions. Uh, I was playing with the best players in the world every day at training. And they become those those kind of heroes of mine became my friends, and I think that that was the coolest thing um, that I've possibly ever done for my football was uh, deciding to go somewhere where I knew that I wasn't going to get the playing time if I signed for another team. Um, but it was the the environment, and you know, we had like fifteen thousand average at every game for attendance. That doesn't happen for women's football. So, so that was really cool. So even though it was a failure to not get drafted, it gave me the opportunity to go somewhere where I knew that I would get the, the, the best experience. Shout out to Portland for that attendance. I mean, it's a really great, uh, it's a really great city. It's a great soccer city in the United States that I really appreciate myself. So. Yeah, they're <laughs> insane there. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> And we have touched previously a little bit before. Uh, we won't speak about 
um, or mentioned ages, but have you started to think a little bit about what you would like to do after your playing career? You have a master's degree, which is quite rare in the game of football. Uh, are you looking to stay within the game of soccer or to work more uh, within a civilian career? Yeah, I mean, I, I love football. I've coached a lot. I don't want to be a coach. <laughs> I think it's, oh man, I think that being a coach and being a referee are two of the hardest jobs in the world, <laughs> especially if you have me as a player, especially if you're a referee. I, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> well, that's the I, thing about being a coach as well, right? That it's the only job in the world that you have to fire half of your team on Saturday and then re-sign them again on Monday. <laughs> and then if you're, um, if you're a youth coach, then you're actually working with the parents and not the players. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would love my dream job would to be, would to be doing something with sports marketing. Um, cause I, yeah, my, my thesis was mostly on advertising and marketing, um, through a feminist lens. Um, so I think it would be really cool to do sports marketing, um, and maybe work kind of with uh, corporate social responsibility. Um, those are, that would be really awesome. That would be my dream job. Nice. Really nice. Recruitment yeah. talk with Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I was I recording? <laughs> cut, cut, cut. I, I, pro I provided contact info later. Okay. <laughs> uh, you've played with a lot of different players in a lot of different countries at a lot of different levels. Um, you've had a couple of managers throughout your career. Um, what knowledge or pieces of advice have you gained that you know, as I, if I can put it in, in a kind of mean way that kept bouncing around in your head and that kind of stuck with you? Yeah, I mean, I have played, I've played on a lot of teams with a lot of different coaching styles, a lot of different playing styles. And uh, I would say I'm still learning. Um, I have recently had experiences where, um, you know, trying to trying to kind of reason with a coach about playing styles or something like that. You have to, you have to be delicate sometimes, which um, is a little unfortunate sometimes because you want to get your point across and you want to kind of stick up for yourself, but you also, you know, doing it in a respectful way um, and a professional way is very important. But sometimes you have managers who, you know, are, are pretty set in their ways. And maybe they've been at a, at a club for a while or have been doing things their way for a long time and it's gone well, you know? So I would say no matter what, just taking, taking any positives that you can away from it. So if you're, if you're playing for a manager that likes a really direct style of play, that's not my style of play, right? No. I like keeping it on the ground. I like uh, a lot of passes. I like sharing the ball. Um, but if you're playing for a coach that wants to, wants to be a lot more direct, okay, then you can work on your runs and behind, you can work on this, you can work on that. Um, I think the most important thing is to just not lose your individual qualities, um, and the things that make you special. And I'm still learning that I, I struggled with that a lot last year because our playing style was not exactly the style that I loved playing the most. And I was also playing outside midfielder. And when 
you you're that's an isolated position in general so uh, when it's when it's not the style that you're used to or that you want to play you have to you can't let it get too in your head um and yeah like I said it's something that I'm still learning and I think that it would be silly for any player to say that they're not still learning you know it doesn't matter what age what level you're at it's um you have to be completely open and honest with everything so never never stop learning yeah, it's, um, and that's what goes back to even the mentality of the best players in the world. It's not they've never ever thought that they've like, oh, now I've made it and being like and being comfortable. You know, it's always, you know, there was a little anecdote that Tony said previously on a previous podcast about, you know, Ronaldo, he's still there first to training, last to leave. He employs his own chefs. He has his own masseuse. You know, he's investing in himself and. And it's, it's being comfortable, being uncomfortable, if you know what I mean. Completely, totally. I mean, and you look at it like, you look at it all the time. I mean, think about how many times Tiger Woods reinvented his golf swing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, if you're, if you're, the moment you stop being a student is when your career is done. Yeah, and football's so fast. Like, if you stay stagnant and even though you're at the top, the game catches up to you real quick. Yeah. Exactly. Real quick. There's yeah. actually no upper limits to any set of knowledge. Wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Was that something from Star Trek then? Yeah? I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, you almost like already answered my, my questions. I was going to ask you. But if you can get some, some kind of advice to like a, a younger player coming up, because when you're young, you you know everything and you know how to play and sometimes you put up an agreement and or you start arguing with the coach then you really realize you were wrong but you ne will never admit that so how would you do that instead like with him in perspective with, of your own philosophy and the coach philosophy is going the, the opposite way so one thing that i've become a lot better um at as i've matured um is the ability to speak up for yourself um, I think that, of course, there is a fine line between um, arguing and making your point known or asking questions. I think that asking questions and trying to understand um, why a coach or a manager is, is asking those things of you that they're asking from you is really, really important. But I would say it doesn't matter how young you are or how much more experience others have than you, um, there, is never, there is never any negatives to asking questions and asking why things are the way that they are. And you can say that in a respectful way. And if the coach can't answer that, then that's on them. That's not on you, you know? So I think that, and that comes back to being a student, you know, it's mm -hmm. being curious, it's being, uh, being ready to challenge yourself. Um, but I also, I also do think that at a certain point, you have to also, you have to know yourself, but you also have to be very self-critical and say, okay, they're looking at me this way. They see this. I need to look at it from that perspective and decide for myself, um, you know, how, how helpful that advice would be. And more oftentimes than not, the, there is absolutely a truth in what, in what coaches are saying. And even if it's not what you want to hear, it's something that you should hear, you know? Agree. Yeah. 
we touched on this earlier, Hannah, um, a little bit talking about the Super League and, and all that, but uh, Bayern Munich, uh, Paris Saint-Germain are headed for the US for the preseason tournaments. Um, they're going to play uh, ra- racing uh, Louisville and Chicago Red Star. Um, do you think it can give a, a good spark uh, to have more frequent international friendly tournaments like that between continents? Uh, and uh, is that is that something that that maybe the women's game can accommodate more than the men's game? Yeah, I think it's I think it's an really really cool and i think even last year you know leon came and played north carolina um and there was another i'm blanking on who else played but it was really cool to see these top these top teams you know leon is arguably the best team in the world um but then they played uh, north carolina and north carolina beat them so it's (laughs) like you know i'm i'm kidding i mean they're both they're both amazing but um i think that giving the the opportunities um to these teams that the that the male teams are given is so awesome so positive um nothing honestly nothing bad can come from a little international competition and the players love doing it um the fans love doing it it's it's an incredible experience and i think that the the success that, for example, the women's national team in the U.S. has had, um, there. If you look at the men's national team compared to the women's national team, it's unlike most other countries in the world because the women are have been the powerhouse in in women's football since yeah. the '90s, and the men aren't. You know, it's that's that's the way it is. Unfortunately, you know, they're they're failing to, to um, qualify for these big tournaments and the women have consistently been top five. Um, so there's this, this kind of frenzy around the women's national team where as an American, I can say like, there's nothing more than Americans love than being number one. Uh, so, you know, that's why people are going so crazy for the women's soccer team because they're, they're the best in the world. And so mm-hmm. I think, that um, seeing, you know, these fans in the U.S., um, seeing these international teams coming in, it's just really cool and vice versa. You know, there, there was so much interest in the, in the U.S. women's national team from European people, which I thought was so cool, too. Yeah. So uh, I, I think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's U.S. is the Brazil of, uh, of women's football, isn't it? <laughs> so <Yeah. in> How important is, I'm completely changing the subject, no. or, maybe not, or maybe not at all. Um, how important is diversity in football, uh, pluralism? I mean, you, you mentioned that it's a big international game, and, you, and that really speaks to my heart because, I mean, I've traveled and football's always been there for me. But what about, like, socioeconomic diversity and international diversity to boot? How important are those two things, those two elements within the game? I mean, it's hard to talk about football without talking about diversity. Um, I think it's one of the things that makes football so beautiful um, is that it is the world sport. And from a personal perspective, I've played in so many different countries with so many different girls, um, so many different types of identifications. And I, I think that it, 
makes you a true kind of citizen of the world by doing those things. And I know that sounds so silly, but when you start playing, it's, di it's different if you just meet someone and if you're working with them, right? But if you're playing, if you're playing on a team with someone, you really get to know them. You know, you're, you're not just colleagues, you're friends, you're family. Um, and by kind of breaking down those barriers, you really get to experience other people's cultures, other people's beliefs, um, their, their belief systems, you know, all these things. So personally, I think one can't, ex soccer can't exist without diversity. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard, uh, it's a hard question, but I think uh, soccer is diversity, you know, soccer is the world sport. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. It's 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 Ramadan now, and and uh, and uh, every year the, the the debate is does it weaken your body when you fast? Everything every year that comes, but hey, hundreds of thousands of players in the world are handling it every year. Leave it to them. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's, I think it's uh it's fun when you see the you know the fast breaks in the middle of the game and things like this. It's uh. <laughs> I, I just think soccer is so, football is so beautiful. I keep on saying soccer. I, I don't even call it soccer anymore. It's, <laughs> it's both. Kickball. Right, we're in the rounder section of the interview now. This is, uh, this is pure philosophy, as yeah. if we didn't, we like philosophy in this, uh, on the show. Uh, <laughs> so, what does the definition of success mean to you, Anna? How would you define it? Oh my gosh, it's going to sound so cliche. I think success mm. is being happy mm. and being, uh, being proud of the person that you are and being proud of the way that you touch the people around you. I think it's a good definition. <laughs> um, and of course, money no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the next that's question the, Ameri the american of you speaking right yeah, <laughs> yeah but that, that leads us straight into the next question which is the hated money question you know what what purchase of a hundred dollars us or less uh has most positively impacted your life in the last six months um you know specific brands models you know anything you can it think of I'm like trying to think of, I have been on such a shopping hiatus um, since Corona began because I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> save that money. But, um, and they're a little bit more than a hundred dollars and they, it sounds so stupid, but I'm going to explain it. Um, my AirPods, mm -hmm. my, and the reason why is because I have noticed that I'm spending a lot less time watching TV shows and a lot more time listening to podcasts. Um, so I, it used to be, you know, when I was walking around my house, when I was doing whatever, I was watching a show. Um, and now I feel I'm listening to podcasts as I do everything. And I think it's a really cool way to, to kind of, uh, geek out a little bit on the different things that you like and enjoy. And then, uh, I also realized that I've been talking to my family and friends a lot more. Um, and it's just because I have my AirPods in when I'm walking places in Europe I'm not using my car as much as so I'm walking a lot and when my airpods are in I just decide to you know press and just walk and talk to my mom my dad my brother you know my boyfriend whoever um so 
I think I've, I've just been connecting a lot more with the, the people back home that, and Corona also did that. Um, I had more calls and video chats with my friends back home than I have in years. So yeah, <laughs> round answer. <laughs> Corona is unfortunately free, but the AirPods are a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, <laughs> Hannah, if you could have a, like a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, metaphorically speaking, getting a message out there for millions and billions of people, what, is, what would it say and why? It has to be one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite people, Mrs. Uh, Dolly Parton. I love her so much. And my favorite quote is, um, find out who you are and do it on purpose. Cool. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I, Dolly is a legend. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Good one. That's a good message. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and it's positive. It's up it to is. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now we're getting back to like the money question again, and to see if you if you're gonna get the same answer. <laughs> what is the <laughs> what What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you ever made? But we can do it like this. You you can pick like energy or habit. You don't need to go back to money. We, we're always we're always hinging on the money, but this is really an investment, time investment, or anything else. Yeah, it doesn't have to yeah. be money. I have like a million answers to this, but I'm gonna talk about something that I've just in the last couple of months, I've been investing a lot of time in that I think is really good. And it, I've gotten into golf. Uh, so finally, yeah. someone, someone <laughs> play golf. I tried to play David golf. just had like a eureka moment there. <laughs> finally, I tried to get those guys to play golf with me. They're just complaining. They're, no, I can't, I can't, I can't and whatever. Find it nice, good investment. Next question. <laughs> I have a teammate here in Denmark. Um, she's actually from Norway, and we have we made a made a connection with the local golf club, and so we don't have to pay green fees. <laughs> so we're going we're going to the driving range on Wednesdays and then on Sundays for our, um, you know, we play on Saturdays and on Sunday we go and play around to 18. <laughs> wow. I'm jealous. Yeah, so, what yeah, a life. No, eh? uh, <laughs> I know. Right. It's, uh, yeah. But it's, it's just been so, it's been so nice because here in Denmark, I'm started. I'm, um, I'm trying to get it, or I'm going to start teaching um, a little bit at an international school here, which is also what I've been doing in Sweden and Oslo. Um, so I'm going to start hopefully doing that this week, just uh, part-time. Uh, but I've had a lot of downtime here in Denmark, and it's been a lot more downtime than I'm used to. And so having things like golf or something like that just kind of breaks up your week a little bit more, and you actually... I find that by doing more, I'm getting more energy. So, the grass and golf is so untouched. It's so no cleats have ripped it up. It's incredible. Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I, some of my swings, I'm uh, getting uh, pretty big chunks of grass up, but we'll we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're watching Tiger Woods podcast. <laughs> In the last five years. What have you become better at saying no to? 
what approaches have helped in doing that? And do you have any other tips for time management? Yeah, this was one of the questions that I had a little bit of trouble with. Um, but I, I would say I've actually become better at saying yes. And I think that that comes from me opening up more um, as I've been moving. When I first started moving around, I am a very, yeah, I, I, I'm an introvert a little bit sometimes. Um, and so sometimes it was really hard for me to kind of uh, open myself up to, to new teams and to new groups. And I would, you know, turn down invitations to go get a coffee or something like that. But I actually have found that for me myself, saying yes more has been really uh been really positive in impact in my life but one thing that i have said no to i guess is i'm i'm taking uh how do i put this um i'm advocating for myself a lot more and i think that this came a lot from my knee injury and having you know, a doctor who I really trusted, um, not believe me when I said that my knee was really bad and I needed to get images and I needed this and needed that. And I kind of, you know, trusted him more than I trusted myself when he said, you know, your ACL is fine. Your MCL is fine. It's just a bruise. It's just this, it's just that. And I was like, okay, yeah, sounds good. And then it wasn't until months later when I got an image taken that they were like, you know, you, you should have had surgery. If you have surgery now, there's a 50% chance of it helping. Um, but otherwise you're just gonna have to rehab. So I think that advocating for myself and saying no to just taking someone who's in a position of authority, um, just taking their answer. Um, I think that that has been one of the biggest lessons in my life. That is a really good answer. Don't mm -hmm. edit a word of that just. <laughs> <laughs> you can part of it <laughs> where I had like a total brain freeze. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's also like I mean I don't know how you I don't I think you like studied our questions because you're leading the next question first of all. Second of all, uh, the whole the whole uh, the whole paradox of authority is something we're all living with in this time. That's it's a whole philosophical discussion point, and essentially, you know, about coaches, doctors, mentors. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot to think about there. Absolutely. Hannah, Hannah, here's the final question. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> what, does, what does game insight mean to you? And I mean, from a career perspective, but also from a central midfielder perspective. So, oh, yeah, I like that second part of the question. Um, I mean, as a central midfielder, you're kind of, you have to see every part of the game and you're kind of... Uh, maybe the connecting piece between everything. Um, and I think that Game Insight is a platform that helps you, that doesn't limit your potential just because you don't have the resources. And we talked a lot about this um, earlier in the podcast, you know, being a female athlete, there are certain barriers that have unfortunately, you know, been placed around us um, that have been hard to break through, but I think that a platform like this, um, it kind of gives you every opportunity to, uh, to reach your full potential. And if it's as a coach, as a player, um, 
there's just so much more that you can do when you have all these things in front of you and you can look at it and, and organize it and say, okay, I need a little bit more of this. I need to analyze this a little bit more. So it's kind of like a one-stop shop, I would say, that can just elevate every part of your, of your game in a way that's, um, yeah, in a way that's super accessible. And as a midfielder? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, I love, I love setting up, uh, you know, little trainings for myself. I love analyzing different parts of the sport. I'm a little bit mm. of a football geek and yeah. I, I like to nerd out to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, like I said, the central midfielder, you kind of have to have your, your feet in every single part of the game. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little, I, I asked twice because I, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that you you drifted out from the wide and you you were really enjoying the fact that you got to play in the central role again, and, and I and that made me think also. So, yeah, so, uh, it's nothing. The, the, com nothing compares to center midfield playing there is the most fun. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, you guys are on Jesse. You. Uh huh. Am I back? Yeah, Don't you're there. <laughs> I said that I agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually one of my favorite things in Norway. Um, they the translation of "yaya anig" is "I am agree," and so that's what my coach and some of the players in Norway say. They go, "I am agree." <laughs> one of my favorite things. And then I also had my coach say, um, "Yeah." You can sit the pome means like you can ride with me to the game, and the little translation is you can sit on me. <laughs> Whoa! So I was like, a I friendly mean, channel. That's what you meant, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice! Yeah. How many languages can you speak or understand now? Um, Swedish, Norwegian, English. And then I took Spanish through college, but that's kind of taken a back seat now. Yeah, uh, cool, yeah. cool. How, how's how's this how's this how's the skit coming along? Danish. <laughs> I, I do not understand anything they say. You're like you're and on the part. When you read it, it's like okay, yeah, I, yeah. I get this. Yeah. It's pretty similar to Norwegian Swedish, but then I'm like, you guys are only pronouncing half the word every single word. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us, Hannah. It was really enlightening and, and great to talk to you, to hear about your career, to hear about your plans, uh, and, and to get to garner your perspective and your insight um, today. So uh, thanks for joining us on Football in the Trenches. And Thank you. And yeah, I, I really appreciated this talk. It, uh, it made me reflect a lot on uh, kind of my career and and what I've been doing and what I'm up to next. So I really appreciate this opportunity to uh, delve into that. And I think this platform is an awesome, uh, an awesome thing. And I can't wait to see it uh, in action and participate in it as well, for sure. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much, Hannah. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Nice to meet you as well. Yeah, nice to meet you. And guys, good luck with the, the little ones. <laughs> Thank for you. We're well needed. <laughs> so, Very much. Needed. All right. Thanks, guys.